Welcome to Made for Profit, a podcast where we talk business in the shop and help you monetize as a maker. Each week we cover business topics to help you grow your full-time business or your side hustle. We'll also bring you interviews from a variety of people winning in their space to share valuable business insights and life lessons. I'm Brad Rodriguez, a full-time content creator running FixThisBuildThat.com, and my co-host John Malecki runs a full-time furniture company and his content site, JohnMalecki.com. We've been growing our successful businesses online, and we want to bring you into the conversation and help you grow along with us. Welcome to episode 43. Now, last week we focused on photography basics and shooting with your cell phone. And this week we're going to dive a little bit deeper and go to the next level of advanced photography. So we're going to talk about our gear, how we use it, and some of the things that we've learned over the years to help make you get your better photos with that DSLR stepping up from the cell phone photography. But before we get into it, we do want to thank our new members that joined the MFP patron tribe this week. Uh, we had Big Country. I love that. Just Big Country. Big Country. No, no names. Big Country. Big Country. We had Jarrett Lambert. We had Travis Johnson, JW Craftsman, Sawdust, etc., and Joey Sidney's. And thank you, Joey, for prompting me with how to say your name, because I would have not have said it that way. <laughs> uh, if you want to support the show and get some awesome rewards and get the after show, you can head over to patreon.com forward slash made for profit and join and uh, get your name at the beginning of the show as well. John, what's up, my man? Oh, not much, dude. I'm uh, I'm stoked because um, uh, with the patrons rolling right into it, we do have a new tier now. So um, I'm, I'm pumped to get some interest in that. We're doing a little bit of one-on-one style coaching, I believe, uh, for a few select patrons in there. So if you guys are interested in Patreon, make sure you're checking that out. Um, but besides that, dude, I'm just, uh, I feel like I lost a hundred pounds. Uh, the <laughs> skyline table that I did a couple weeks ago, I delivered it at the beginning of April and, uh, the client had some issues and I can't remember if I talked about it on the show or not, but what happened was I, uh, I inlaid some metal into the table and I uh, veneered the entire tabletop because I knew wood movement was going to be an issue. Well, the office building is basically a fishbowl and windows all around, lots of heat, lots of um, humidity in there. And I had some wood on the edge grain wrapping the metal. That one ended up moving slightly and popping all of the metal inlay off of the table itself. So oh. I had to go back and I had to remove the whole table. I had to bring a temporary top in. Um, and I've just got through that headache as well as trying to make sure I didn't get behind on other stuff. So it's been a rough two weeks. And that's probably why you guys haven't seen much content getting out from me as well as, you know, we were doing a little traveling there at the beginning of the month. I'm traveling next week. So it's just it's. It's it's good to be done with that, and I'm and I it's mistakes. The grind. It sounds that sounds like an MFP episode, overcoming obstacles and oh, challenges. Oh man, was that because <laughs> it, it was it was weighing me down, dude. Like my I was just not happy, and it was yeah, it was it was a bummer. So we oh, got that out the door yesterday, and uh, I'm just glad that it's done. I'm I'm excited to get you know back into my normal routine and not be playing catch up here. I got you, dude. I got you. I know. I think over the past uh, week or two, it's probably been the least amount we've communicated in in a year <laughs> yeah uh i'm like oh man i know he's he's down in in just the coal mine just slugging it out so <laughs> yes. glad you glad you got that wrapped up and you're doing a video for that yeah yes yeah, so i will be for doing the skyline a, table a video for that but so i didn't get any video content of the new stuff because i was on a timeline trying to get it out but i'm going to talk about it a little bit in the video and what happened and i'll and i'll and i'll peruse back over that Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, I finished up 
or I am finishing up uh, the dresser for my daughter and uh, did the, you know, kind of made the drawers a different video, which that came out. And then the dresser video will have just come out as this episode comes out. Uh, so she came out the other day into the garage and uh, I had the carcass there and no drawers or anything in it. And she she said, I like what you've done so far. <laughs> <laughs> I said, thanks, baby. She's only six. That so was quite adorable. Uh, yeah. And then uh, had some time with my boys, actually. I mean, we went camping. I know you've been doing some some golfing and fishing. I, I went out camping uh, with my boys for Cub Scouts, and that was lots of fun. I uh, went out there and helped them complete some, some of their um, requirements and things. And we just had a good time. And uh, except for when my son caught a Frisbee with his tooth. And uh, knocked the bottom part of it off. That was not cool. Um, but, you know, things happen. New tooth or baby tooth? Oh, this was adult tooth. Ooh, he's, gonna be, he's living with that one. Yeah, front tooth. Yeah, we're, we're, we're going to the dentist tomorrow, so we'll see what happens with that. Hopefully he'll be all right. It wasn't too bad, but we'll see. We'll see how it goes. But, uh, yeah, I think this week is going to be pretty cool. Just uh, I know we just released the episode for the basics on photography and already getting some great feedback just looking over on Instagram um, and looking at the next level because I know a lot of people uh, have been doing cell phones and are dabbling into uh, camera bodies and DSLRs. Uh, and today we are going to just stick with photography. So we are actually what we decide to do is uh, keep on the photography bandwagon. And then next week we're going to jump into videography. So uh, we'll, you know, we'll dabble in the videography a little bit when we talk about camera features and those things. But um, this is going to be all still around photography. So uh, I think the biggest thing that most people need to learn how to do or, or let me rephrase that. The thing that sets uh, your photography to the next level is getting out of manual, or excuse me, getting into manual, getting out of auto, right? So get, learning to use the settings, and man, it can be overwhelming, can it? I mean, there's so many settings on the camera. Like, if you just grab a DSLR and look at it, you're like, oh, gosh, what what's going on here? Yeah, um, there's buttons galore. I mean, the camera, <laughs> the camera itself has so much going on, and I think that's an attestment to how far the technology has come um, in, in however long it was. I mean, I remember... Not too long ago, like you were still buying, uh, you know, the film rolls and putting them in and scraping oh, through them and Polaroids. I had a and- Rebel G. I had a <laughs> Rebel G that was like that was the beginning. That was back when Andre Agassi was the spokesperson for Canon. Yes, and uh, remember those yeah. commercials as a child? Oh yeah, he like the just the action shots of him just smashing that with the mullet rocking. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, and and yes, absolutely. So you know, getting into that professional style or you know semi pro because they've come down too right they like there's so there's entry level cameras and it's pretty cheap to get into but the whole idea of getting into manual is that you have just almost complete control over the scene and the and the camera and there's so many things you can change and so we're going to kind of talk about that to start off with about why why should you get into manual why do you why should you get out of auto what what's going to happen and I think the biggest thing, one of the biggest things um, is consistency, right? Because as you, if you're shooting an auto, and we talked about this a little bit last week, if you're shooting an auto, what happens is every time you half click that button to do an auto foc- to do a focus, uh, the camera takes in all the information at that point in time of in that lighting situation, whatever, 
and it does all the settings for you. It's and they are pretty darn good. But especially if you're shooting outside on a cloudy day or something like that and you have passing light or I think the example I used last week was if you move to a different angle and now you're letting more light into the camera because that uh, tripod light you're using is now facing closer to the camera, it's going to give different settings and it might adjust the white balance. And so what's going to happen is when you get in to look at your pictures in the end, some pictures are going to be warmer than other pictures. So something, you know, might look really orangey where another one looks kind of blue and blown out. And there's just not that consistency. So you have to edit every photo differently than the next. And you might not be able to get that same look across them. Yeah. And and those features are fantastic when you're getting used to like looking into the beginnings of using a DSLR. But what ends up happening is you don't understand why things are happening because you're not adjusting them yourself. So when things are either more blue or yellow or, uh, you know, it's extremely blown out and um, there's like all these variables that are happening to your photographs because they're all automatically set. You're not going to have a good understanding on how to get certain looks directly on the camera. And I think one of the biggest aspects of that is going to be white balance. You know, I think you, t- you touched on it, but automatically setting your white balance isn't a bad thing necessarily um, as much as automatic or setting your entire camera to auto where it's doing, you know, white balance, ISO, aperture, uh, shutter speed. It has everything set auto. Um, and that's where you start to get you can take two photos back to back and a cloud rolls over and they look completely different. Um, yeah. And that's because of all the auto settings. Now, white balance is going to be the camera's settings that are adjusting. Um, I think it's, is it y, YGBR? Like, is it red, blue, green, yellow? It's, well, it's it's doing the, it's the Kelvin scale is Kelvin. what most of them. Yeah. So you set it, you know, somewhere in between, you know, something like 3000 up to maybe 6000 Kelvin, which again, we talked about a little bit yesterday depending upon what kind of light you're getting. So the camera does that for you. So if you're shooting indoors in incandescent light, it might set the white balance at 3,200 Kelvin. And that is saying, okay, I know there's yellow. So what it's doing is trying to compensate for the yellow and show, you know, a more natural scene. Whereas if you go outside or if you go, yeah, if you go outside in bright daylight, that might be, I don't know what daylight is. I think it's maybe 5,000 Kelvin um, just compared to what the bulbs are. And that's going to be a a totally different thing. If you were shooting with the camera settings at that Kelvin setting, like you said, John, you're going to get really yellowed or you're going to get really blued. Um, So for me, that's going to that was the thing that I think changed the most for me. Uh, If you're doing because most of our people are doing product shots. If you're doing a series of product shots, setting that white balance, that's going to be the first thing I would suggest that you do is lock it in. And what you're going to have to do is uh, the nice thing is that most of these cameras have settings. So you can you can say, yeah, I'm at a cloudy day. I'm in full sunlight. So there will be settings in there. You go to your white balance and you can say fluorescent light, you know, whatever, incandescent light, da, 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 da. And you can, or uh, in some of the higher end ones, you can actually change through and change it by like you know, increments of 100. So you could change it from 3,200 to 3,500 Kelvin. And you could kind of see what that does. So you can play around with it. Um, but there are some easy set and forget type things about, uh, that, you know, I think there's five or six of them on my camera at least. Yeah. And those options make a huge difference in the outcome of your photograph. 
So if you're taking a shop shot and you have a lot of incandescent lighting, what you can do is set your camera to shoot in the type of situation, like Brad said, where that lighting is prominent. And what it'll do is balance everything out so it doesn't look like you're in incandescent lighting. It looks like you're in a better lit uh, scenario that doesn't have all the blues and yellow hues that can come from incandescent that make things either look super warm or cool. So as we spoke before, you have your scale, your 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 Kelvin scale, but in our last episode, we kind of talked about warm and cool and warm is basically going to be more red and orange and cool is going to be more blue or green. Um, and that's kind of what the white balance settings are doing is they're putting you in the best situation. So your, your shots are not going to look too much one way or the other. Um, so if you're shooting on your camera, on your phone, for instance, and you're starting to see a lot of your shots look yellow, in the DSLR, you can adjust the white balance setting to one of their automatic settings that is it's in the manual, but it is an auto setting or a preset, I should say, not an auto setting. It's a preset that puts you in whatever lighting temperature you've got. And I'm I'll, I'll grab my camera right here and while we're sitting here and I'm, I'm almost positive mine has um, tungsten. It has uh, the incandescent daylight. Um, I don't believe cloudy. Yeah, cloudy is typically. I don't believe one. there's a white. I don't believe there's an outdoor setting. Um, I also have shade. There's a, 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 a white fluorescent. Excuse me. I could turn the flash on, and then I do have that custom feature. And excuse me for the beeps. That's my actual camera. But um, the custom feature. Now that's where the pros really get dialed in, and they're able to go on site or they're shooting something, and they'll go in the white balance and they'll set their white balance almost, you know, for each. For each shot. There's lots of ways to do it. Uh, so, you know, without that, you can go all the way to like to what John's saying, like where you can meter and and really hone it in. Uh, but what we'll talk about later as well is like you really just want to get as close as you can and then you can make any minor adjustments in post. Uh, so in post production, because you're going to be, you know, at this point, advanced photography, you're also going to be doing editing. Uh, so, yeah, so you can do that. And also these those cool. Do you have one of those, John? Um, like I have this little itty bitty pop up thing that's uh, gray on one side and white on the other. So if you're, if it's a little like card, we'll call them cards, I think a lot of times. So it's like a white card or a gray card. Mm -hmm. And if you put that, uh, so that's a nice thing. If you don't know what it is, the the whole idea here is just to lock it, lock it down because you can adjust later, especially if you're shooting in raw, which again, we'll talk about in a minute. Um, if you're shooting in raw, then you can actually go in and put like, put a card in that like, I know this is a known color of gray. And then I'm going to put that in there. Uh, in my photos and I'll put that in my first photo so I can go into my post-processing, come back, look at the gray, and then basically it'll balance everything for you. So anyway, long, long drawn out explanation of white balance, but I think because it is very important, the whole idea, so the, the recap of white balance real quick is um, it gives you consistency and that's what you want across photos in a single setting or shooting so that you can make sure that you're getting a similar look across a portfolio of pictures of the same you know, product in the same setting. And and that consistency is in Keller. So the white balance is giving you a Correct. consistency on the Keller it's grade tones. Um, and the Keller tones. Yes. That's not, um, so that's not exposure or saturation. I guess saturation is saturation included. Oh it, gosh. I don't know, man. We're, I, I, so here's this episode. <laughs> we're probably going to get a little tongue tied. We may yeah. say some wrong things. We will likely say some wrong things because there are just, there's so many options and things. Uh, but anyway, we'll, we'll do it to me. Um, I think it is white balance. There's tint. I think it's tint mm -hmm. and tone and white balance because okay. that like, at least in Lightroom, 
because you can adjust white balance in two ways, intent and tone. I don't know if that translates to the camera. So um, go ahead. So I was, so was going to say, so when you're thinking color initially, as you get started with more of the manual settings, um, white balance, mine looks like a dot with two, like it kind of like looks like a sun in the, I guess, kind of thing. But anyway, those features will be right on there and you can definitely go into your manual and find a bunch of options. It's actually super easy to adjust once you learn it. Um, and it does help a ton. Like I'm talking extreme differences in the looks of your photographs just by understanding this setting. Um, and I think that that was one of the first things that I got started with that really started helping me get my photographs and my portfolio to all look like they were um, shot similar, even though I'm in completely different environments a lot of the time. Exactly. And you can use that to your advantage. If you want something to look like it was lit and incandescence, you can do that in post uh, or even there if you really hone in the the color grading the right way uh, or the white balancing. But, you know, that so that's what I'm going to say is the first thing. So the next thing is the is the one that really is um, it, it's hairy and it takes a, a long time to figure it out. Um, but it's called the exposure triangle. So like John said, that doesn't control exposure. So white balance just gets you in the right tones. Uh, but as we all know, we've all had the picture that's been too dark. We've all had the picture that's been too blurry. Uh, and we've all had the picture that's been blown out and it's had too much light in it. So when you're doing the camera settings, a lot of times the cameras will uh, shoot dark from my experience. So you're like, oh man, how, how can I do this? Now, if you're shooting on a tripod, the exposure triangle. So what that is, it's a triangle because there's three different uh, settings that go into it and it's ISO shutter speed and aperture. Okay. And, and all three of those again are, so when you're in auto mode, uh, the camera is setting all four of those for you, white balance, ISO shutter speed aperture. It's setting all of them. It's taking the, all, everything that it knows based upon the surroundings <clears throat> of what's coming on the sensor and it sets them. And now you can set any of those. And so you can set some, you can change some, um, but what happens is on this, they call it the exposure triangle because each of these settings, ISO, shutter speed, aperture, uh, when you go up or down, it basically changes the exposure. So each individual one. And so now if you start, you're probably thinking about, well, okay, if it's like you have three levers and you can pull each of those three levers and depending upon which way you pull them, you know, one's gonna be lighter, one's gonna be darker. And now the combination of all three of those, you know, you, you all of a sudden you're into this whole thing about, wow, okay, there's a lot of stuff going on. Um, but with each of those also comes different things. So we'll kind of quickly go through and attack each one. Um, like, so what ISO is, as is the, you know, the sensitivity of the image sensor. And we pulled, John was very kind enough to pull this from wiki or whatever he did. Uh, yes. <laughs> so we can sound like we know more than we do. Uh, but, but ISO, ISO basically is the sensitivity of the image sensor and, um, the ability to, to pull in light. Okay. Uh, so it is. It also is what has grain. So um, a lower ISO is going to be a darker photo. So if you're shooting at 100, you need a lot of light coming in. Uh, but it's also going to be the crispest. The crispest? Crispier? Most, we'll go with most crispy. Most crispy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so a higher ISO allows you to get more light in the camera. So you would use a higher ISO in a dark situation. So in a dark situation, you might be going up to 1600, 3200 ISO uh, because you're trying to light, let more light into the sensor. But what happens is you give away uh, clarity. So it starts getting grainy. You've all seen the fuzzy shots when you have a really dark shot and it's just super grainy. That's because your camera has set the ISO very high 
it lets more light in, but the trade-off is less uh, clarity, less crispiness, uh, <laughs> right? So that's that's the ISO side. Uh, the next one, what's the next one, John? I want you to hit the aperture. So aperture is the unit of measurement that defines the size of the opening in the lens that can be adjusted to control the amount of light reaching the sensor. So aperture is the next setting that you want to, that, so there's like a wheel on your camera of some sort. Most DSLRs will have this. And so ISO and aperture will be on wheels where you can widen it wide open and close it way down. So to my understanding, and Brad's Brad just actually has a little bit of training in photography, and I have zero. So it's <laughs> <laughs> probably why he sounds like he knows what he's doing more. But when I want to get more light into a shot, I'll what I'll do is I'll literally just use these two ISO and aperture, and I'll go into uh, I want to keep both of them as low as possible. And I'll go into aperture and, first. And what I'll do is I'll get it all the way down to where I feel like I can have the um, the opening on the lens as small as possible and still getting enough light to see what I'm shooting. And then I'll start messing with the sensitivity and trying to keep that as low as possible. And right. So the, and just, just real quick as a <clears throat> reference. So aperture is also known as F stop. Yes. And if you look at a camera lens and even they have them on your, on your cell phone sometimes too, it'll say 4.5 to 5.6. That is the aperture. Um, so I'm looking at this camera. This is my 10 to 18, but a lot of times there's a range there and that's because it's on zoom lens. We'll talk about that in a minute. Um, but yeah, as you get that down, somebody, it, it's the same thing as the iris in your eye. So in low light, when your eye dilates, it gets bigger. That's because your eye is trying to let more light in, in super bright sunlight. If you look at somebody's eyes, the, uh, the pupil, what is it? What's the center? Is that called the pupil? The iris? The iris yeah. The iris is very small. It's cause it, you know, your eye doesn't want to let that much light in the camera works exactly the same way. Uh, and so what I was going to say, John is, is when you go, um, you know, when you go lower, you're actually letting in more light. So you're letting in more on that scale. So if you go down to like a 1.8 with a 50 millimeter lens, um, you were letting in a lot of light. So the lower you go, the more you can add light to your sensor and the lighter your shots will be. Mm -hmm. Yes. So like I said, well, yeah. So like I said, you want those numbers to be as low as you can get them because I believe that that's where the, your lens and the sensor are going to be most optimal the crispier we'll just They're use the, the crispiest we'll just stick, the crispiest. stick with crispy by the way this episode sponsored by rice Krispies. no i haven't <laughs> had a rice crispy in years but um i had one at the camp out wow Talk of, <laughs> now that is irony for you people um so when shooting you want to be able to you want to adjust these two things iso and aperture first that's kind of what i i tend to go with at least the way i shoot and what i'll do is i'll start messing around with how much light's there and i'll just look at the preview screen like you don't have to be like my lens shoots at you know 1.8 and i have to have my f stop all the way here blah 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 like you can you can seriously just point it and then start messing with these wheels and it'll uh get the yeah. the previous and when screen, you say okay. wheels you're, you're talking about the dials right yeah. on the camera the, right so and and that's like for a dslr um typically on the top where you put your right hand if you put your index finger up there it will typically land on a wheel and that's what john's talking about a wheel or a dial or a little knurled thing that you can change the setting with yeah and then some of the higher end cameras have them on the body as well um and it's more of like a spindle but regardless they're easy to adjust because they're not a button so it's a wheel where you can roll it back and forth and kind of get the light settings to go where you need them. And that's typically what I'll do. I'll point the camera on the tripod where I want it 
and I'll start messing. I'll get the aperture as far down as I possibly can and still be able to see what's going on. And then I'll start bringing up the ISO in order to make sure it's got the uh, the lighting that I want. And then there's another feature we'll talk about after this called metering where I kind of nail that all in. But with that being said, this stuff sounds way more complicated than it actually is on the camera. Um, understanding what each one of those do is important and understanding why they're important is also valuable to shooting. If I was just shooting an auto, it's just going to blend that all together and make the, it'll be a good shot, but it's going to be, it's not going to be, um, as optimal as it could be if you're shooting that all in these manual settings. So that's kind of why you want to have a little bit of an understanding here. And I think what, uh, what Brad and I should do right now is defer to our friend, Ann Briggs over at Ann of All Trades, who's a great yes, photographer, she, and just she's blow cringing right now. Blow up her DMs. Just send her tons <clears throat> yeah, of questions. Send her DMs. Just ask her whatever. And you ask need her to. all the questions <laughs> you guys want. Uh, she knows a lot more about photography. She actually helps Brad and I constantly. If she sees, she can literally look at our photos and tell us, um, you know, hey, mess with this a little bit more, and it'll help. So. Um, but understand, yeah. but getting an understanding for it is kind of where we're going with this. You don't have to be a master or an expert. It's basically just kind of understanding, you know, this, this lens shoots optimally at 1.4. I want to try to get my aperture down to that and then mess with the ISO and right. You know, so then move yeah, I think let's, state. let's reel this in. I think we just went down a deep hole with the exposure triangle, but just real quickly on that. So the other side of that is John is that uh, obviously, so that does control depth of field. Uh, if you want um, so that's going to give you the bokeh and you're going to have a blurry background. And if you have something set at an angle, it's going to be much harder to get the whole thing in focus. So you don't necessarily always want to shoot at a low focal range because if you want, if you're shooting landscapes, for, for instance, um, you actually want to be at a higher aperture. So it's, it, you know, you get more light and you get a shallower depth of field, meaning uh, if you were looking at something, if you were shooting down a wall, something five feet away from you might be in focus, something six feet away from you might be slightly in focus and something 10 feet away from you is not going to be in focus at all. So that's a setting to look at. The last one on that exposure triangle is the, the uh, shutter speed and that one again. And so John, yours is a little different. You say you, you miss. So I set ISO, I set it and forget it. I go Ronco on the ISO. Like I always shoot, like I'll figure out. And I think that's technically the way you're supposed to do it from a photography place but probably you make it yeah i mean it works for you so whatever um (laughs) does it (laughs) because you want to go as low as you can on the iso because uh because of the clarity the clarity the crispiness uh and so what i do is i typically do the aperture and the f-stop the shutter speed and again the shutter speed is how long the shutter is open that's typically measured in um fractions so if you'll you'll see it as you know 80 that's 180 of a second the faster the shutter speed, the uh, more light you need. So again, leaving it open longer, you're going to allow more light in. So the, this whole exposure triangle is it's all about how much light can get into the camera and how much gets to the sensor. Uh, so anyway, we'll, we'll kind of leave it at that. But each one of those things, you can monitor it individually. You can lock them. You can play with them. Uh, and there's tons and tons of great information about the exposure triangle and about what each of these does. Um, but just know that the settings for each of those, as they go up and down, it's all about adjusting the exposure. And so you need to figure out, um, you know, what is most important in your shot? Because if you need a shot that if something's moving, like you're probably going to have to sacrifice ISO to get, you know, a sports 
shoot a sports setting, if you're trying to find somebody that's running down a field to get them like, unless you want to do some artistic blur to get them like super, you know, point in time stopped. Like you have to have a ton of light yet. Your shutter speed has to be super fast. Uh, and that probably means that, you know, combination of all these other things are going to have to change. So go check that out. We'll find a good link to like a basic, um, overview of what those are. We'll put it down in the show notes, but let's move on there to the, to the gear body. We kind of did the first half on, on why to do it. And me and John muddling through the exposure triangle. So let's hit the, let's hit the gear. Um, (laughs) You know, what, what's most important in gear, John, because I know, and we're going to talk about, so there's tons of great point and shoots, but I think what we're going to talk about is DSLR with interchangeable lenses. So why don't you start us there about, you know, kind of that setup. So I think, um, one of the, the reason you're going to want to be upgrading is not just those, um, you know, those manual, uh, abilities of the camera itself, but you're also going to have, um, specific features in the body style that you go for as well. Um, and, and there's so many options out there. Um, the first piece of advice is going to be if you decide to get into a specific body, make sure that, um, you're cool with everything that goes into it. Cause like Canon works best with Canon lenses and like, you know, they shoot like Canon shoots way different than Sony. Like the look of the shots coming out of a Canon camera just naturally are way different. They're a lot warmer than uh, Sony, which shoots a lot cooler. And like, that's understood by people who are shooting both. You also have, um, you know, preference to photo and video. And like, when you're getting into the camera body, these are things you're going to need to be considering as well as features. So, you know, to begin with, you're going to have a bunch of options in the sensor itself. Um, you're going to have crop sensors, full frame, mirrorless. Am I missing anything? I mean, there's probably more, but those are typically those are the, the big yeah, three. Those are the big and, um, the, and that would be crop sensor is going to be your base level mm-hmm. and what crop sensor, and I'm not an expert at this by any stretch of imagination, but crop sensor, uh, you know, what you look through the viewfinder, actually what comes in is going to be different. So that's kind of weird, you'll, but you'll get adjusted to that. Uh, and it shoots, I don't know how to explain this. It, it's not, I don't know. I'm not even going to try to, it's, it's just, it's, it's not giving the full sensor, right? It's not giving the full information of the sensor uh, that you would get from a full frame camera. They're typically a little bit bigger, too, um, and they're way more expensive. Uh, you're you're going to get a lot of clarity in a crop sensor. It's uh, it's honestly like for what we do here, um, I wouldn't say it's it's a pivotal aspect of shooting, um, but we're not pros. And, and you know, if you're going to get into photography hard, you definitely want a full frame. Like I want a full frame. Brad wants a full frame. Um, but for what it's like not 100 percent necessary. It's it's just a it's a I guess, again, yeah, a benefit well, to what we do. And what it basically does is it gives you, um, it, it just gives you better performance and especially in the ISO. So, you know, it, like we said, it's all about how much light it can let in. You can let in a lot more light in a full frame camera. You, you can, again, you can get the wider shots because like John was saying with a lens that is the same, a 50 film, a 50 millimeter lens on a crop sensor, what you actually see through the viewfinder is going to be much smaller than what you would see in a full frame. And so if you're shooting in a tight spot, you know, full frame camera is going to be great because you can, you know, get a lot more into the picture. Um, and so, yeah, I think, you know, most people start with a crop sensor. So that first upgrade crop sensor, um, mirrorless, I don't even understand what mirrorless is, but it doesn't have mirrors, I guess they're smaller, they're lighter. So as you go, that's going to be the, um, the price scale is going to be crop sensors typically will be the least expensive mirrorless will be in the middle. And then Full frame will be at the top. Um, but when you're looking at a camera body, like John said, that the different 
I mean, I think even though they, they will shoot cooler or warmer or whatever, like you can adjust all that in the settings, obviously. So uh, you're going to get great performance out of any body line. It's just the differences, like especially about uh, the way that some of the things are located, how the menu structure, all of that. Uh, but also the look and feel like uh, the Sony cameras that I've seen, like the A6300, I think, whatever, like they're very... Um, they're they're very hard lines, right? They're very square bodied, whereas the Canon is kind of very, you know, it flows and it's curved. Um, Nikon's are fairly similar in that that same range. So um, I would highly recommend to go to a Photoshop um, or a photography store, whatever camera store, uh, Best Buy, wherever, like because even Best Buy has some pretty decent ones at this point. And go get your hands on them. See what feels good in your hands. See what you like about them. Uh, mess around with the camera. And if you're really getting into it, what you can also do is you can rent these things. So you could go and rent a base. You know, you could say, hey, I, I want to rent a Canon 80D. And you could rent that from uh, local shops. I know you can do it online. And if you really want to, before you drop your the coin, because even even like, you know, something that is, um, you know, say like a entry level camera, like a Canon, whatever, T5i or a T3 I mean, there's still several hundred dollars. So if you want to make sure that it's going to be good for you, I would highly recommend to go out there and get your hands on it before you purchase. Yeah, no doubt. And what's awesome is like um, you don't even have to buy it in that situation. What you can do and what's really, really cool is uh, there's tons of bundle opportunities out there for entry level DSLRs. And you can go and you can go handle the camera at a store and get the lowdown from someone at the store, hopefully, if it's a good store. And then go on Amazon or go on to eBay and you'll see that there's packages with cards. There's packages with lens yeah. covers and straps and mini tripods and all kinds of cool stuff. I've literally gone to Best Buy and walked in, um, told them I want this camera with this lens, and I showed them a bundle on Amazon, and they matched everything on it. So hopefully there's some representatives here from Best Buy that are going to get blown up because of this. <laughs> but um, regardless... I would highly recommend what Brad said is make sure you get your hands on the camera and ask any questions that uh, you might be considering. Cause in that you're going to see that you can get a lot more value out of those entry level cameras, um, especially in the bodies, because you can get so many things to go with it that you might not have thought of um, before, you know, and you definitely want to get stuff like extra batteries. You're definitely going to want to get, yes. um, I would suggest, honestly, and I just invested in this, but a lens cover for whatever your main lens you're going to be shooting on, because that yes. way you don't get the glass messed up. The filter, right? So yeah. UV filter? The UV filter. Yeah. So so let's hit that. Let's hit some of the, like, when you're getting, what are some of the things they should be looking for? Because uh, I, I think that is key. Like, you see, yeah, when you go on Amazon, there's, there'll be a kit with, like, you know, eight, eight different accessories and seven bags and three, you know, it's like they're so, they throw so much crap in there, but what do you really need? Uh, I think a UV filter is huge. And when you're looking at a UV filter, um, they're not that expensive. There's some that are really expensive. They have like Amazon Basics ones. And for most of us, I think the, the low ones are going to be fine. There are some issues with uh, light flares and different stuff, but don't worry about that. Uh, but you need the UV filter for the threads that are on your lens. So not all filters will fit all lenses. So just make sure that it is uh, compatible with the lens that you have. So I would get that. I would definitely get um, at least two cards, uh, SD cards. So you have one. If you fill it up, you've got a backup one. Uh, if you don't have time to transfer it, uh, make sure that you have a way to transfer it. Um, that's also when you're looking at it. If you want a, a camera that has Bluetooth or Wi-Fi, 
uh, I would I would highly recommend those because that is what I do a lot of times uh, for Instagram. If I'm shooting on, if I'm shooting on, and I'm doing a lot more video these days, but um, if I'm out in the shop and I'm shooting some shots and I want to like, if I'm in a rush, right? You're like, oh, I forgot to do my Instagram. Uh, I'm going to grab a picture of what's in process right now. Take that picture and you can connect directly to your cell phone. Uh, your camera actually becomes a Wi-Fi hotspot or some of them have Bluetooth and you can literally just transfer the photo right to your phone and skip the computer, which is a, a great feature. And I think most cameras these days are, are getting those, uh, but make sure that you look for that because that is, is really a good one um, for you know being able to kind of go on the fly and be able to get into social media. Yeah, and uh, what's also awesome is that if you don't want to use a remote and you're shooting on a tripod, so like we said before, if you can get a still image, you definitely want to be on a tripod. Um, if you're shooting with a remote, that's going to get your hands off the camera and take away that shakiness. Um, and what the Wi-Fi capable cameras have is typically, I know Canon at least has an app where you can look through um, the viewfinder basically. And in the app, you can set your focal point and then take the photograph and that keeps your hands off of the camera as well. So yeah. the Wi-Fi is an awesome option on any camera body. And um, I know it was a reason that I went with the ADD uh, and, and upgraded was because uh, of one that, but two, it had more customizable options. It's a better camera than the T3i for a bunch of reasons. Um, and it's also touchscreen. So like, I don't, is it a 70 touchscreen? It is. So the, the 70D is touchscreen and it does have Wi-Fi. Um, but the nice thing, and we'll talk about video next week, the nice thing that the ADD upgrade has is that you do have live preview via your cell phone during video. Yeah. I can't do that for video, which is a huge bummer. Um, but you're absolutely right, John. In that app, the Canon app, it is really great because you can have it sitting on a tripod and you can actually change that whole exposure triangle that we just talked about, plus mm -hmm. white balance. You can make all those settings on your camera. So you can basically be looking at your cell phone and see exactly how that picture is going to turn out and look on your cell phone. And so you can make all the settings. You can, you know, increase uh, the shutter speed. You can decrease the aperture. And then you can see, you can watch the, the photo darken right there. So you don't have to be looking through the viewfinder. You can change all those settings. And it's a really great learning process because you can see what happens live on the phone as you're changing the settings. Yes, which is a huge advantage as you start to get more advanced, especially when you're trying to get a shot where it's not comfortable. <laughs> Say you have your camera oh, like yeah, somewhere yeah, yeah. where you it's not easy to hold and look at every 30 seconds. Um, yeah, yeah, if you got it like 12 inches off the ground, you don't want to be laying on the floor. Yeah. <laughs> you know, try, yeah. Trying to hone in your exposure triangle. Uh, you're like, oh, crap. I'll also use it if I'm recording myself. So instead of get so a lot of um, a lot of pros when they're doing video will do a monitor and then they'll flip that monitor so they can see themselves and all that. I just use the app and like hold it in my hand. But anyway, so once you're getting into choosing the style of your body, I mean, those are things that are nice upgrades, but you can get into um, a DSLR for pretty reasonable price nowadays. I know the Canon T6 um, Rebel series right now on Amazon as I have, a, and we'll put this link in our in our show notes for you guys, but you can get, I believe what's called their extended performance kit, and that is coming with all kinds of goodies. I see... Um, five different filters, two 30 gig, 32 gig cards, an extra battery, a flash, a camera bag, which is huge, uh, a full-size tripod, a mini tripod, a couple cleaners, and uh, the like the little like uh, air hand tool cleaning thing. And I know both of us started out with cameras that were right around the same quality as this. And um, it's a great way to get 
into the use of a DSLR and start the learning process. And that's only $459 for all of that. Um, Amazon Prime shipped your door in two days. Like, so the affordability of getting into a DSLR is there for sure. Um, and what's great is going back to our accounting episode, this is an expense towards your business now um, if you're using it for your business. And using these things um, in order to shoot for your portfolio and in order to drive more business is obviously going to have its trade-offs and benefits towards what you're doing. Um, so definitely check out those bundles when you're looking into stepping it up because you can get a lot more bang for your buck. And like I said, I took one of these bundles on my phone and walked into Best Buy when I was holding the camera and they matched it pretty much with a couple yeah. of things that I wanted and a couple of things I didn't. Um, but yeah, those are definitely the way to go in my opinion. Absolutely. And uh, just as a point of reference, if you just wanted that, uh, just the camera and like if you already have SD cards or whatever, uh, that same camera you can get for 350 uh, refurbished. So I will talk about refurbished for a minute because I've bought several things refurbished, especially if you're buying straight from Canon. And Canon runs a lot of good deals and, and John and I are Canon guys. So we're going to talk about that a lot um, because that's what we know and we've used. But uh, the the can, you know, I've done refurbished. I have never had a bad experience with refurbished and they typically have warranties and everything. And, um, you know, the whole idea with most refurbished stuff is that if it works when you get it, it's going to be fine. It's not like it's going to wear out over time. You know, either it's working or it's not working. So just make sure all the features are working. Uh, but, you know, you can get into that same that T6, which looks like, yeah, it's got the built in Wi-Fi. It's got all those things. It's got the flip screen, the video um, for 350 as low as that. So uh, you can. You can really stack it and you can also build so you can buy with that kit lens. So let's let's kind of go to that next thing about lenses, because I know we've both upgraded. So typically, most entry level DSLRs are going to come with an 18 to 55 millimeter, something very similar to that zoom lens. And what you'll see on a zoom lens. So when you're looking at a lens, there's there's two types of lenses in general. There are zoom lenses and there are prime lenses. A zoom lens has a, a variable focal length. So 18 to 55, you can go from 18, which would be a wide shot, down to 55, which is going to be tighter. A prime lens is just a 50 millimeter lens. You cannot zoom. You zoom by walking closer <laughs> or backing up. Uh, the advantage of a prime lens is that uh, typically prime lenses are much more crisp because they're not trying. It's kind of like the jack of all trades thing, right? An 18 to 55, it's trying to be good all the way from 18 to 55. Whereas a 50 millimeter, it's like, okay, I just got, this is my job. My job is 50 millimeter and I'm going to do it as best as I can. Uh, and so there's trade-off there in the glass and, you know, all other things that I don't know about. Uh, but in general, uh, prime lenses are much more clear. They're just better lenses in general for that specific setting. If you shot at 50 millimeter on an 18 to 55, it's not going to look as good as if you shoot on 50 millimeter on a prime lens. Yes. And another thing they consider is like, if you're looking through um, multiple panes of glass, if there's like in a zoom lens, there's going to be multiple pieces, more pieces of glass in that lens itself. Um, and this is kind of how I learned it is that's why it's more crisp in a prime lens is there's less glass in the lens itself because there's not variable focal range. So if you're standing there and you hold four pieces of glass in front of you and look through them, it's going to be blurrier on the other side than if you were looking through just one. So that's how you want to think of variable to um, prime lenses and what's happening there as you're adjusting that, that zoom yeah. feature. Um, and that leads to a huge size advantage too, right? Correct. 
So the prime lenses are typically a lot smaller. Um, you know, the, so the nifty, so in getting into prime lenses, I shot on nothing, but what's called the nifty 50 from Canon for two and a half years. Um, they just actually upgraded the body and it's $148, I believe right now it used to be a hundred, but they upgraded to a, um, a metal collet that now, uh, is a little more uh, rugged and rigid and it goes into the camera with, with metal on metal instead of plastic on metal. And it's, um, and they changed up the, uh, the focus, the STM. Yeah. Yes. It's a, it's a different focusing mechanism. So it's got a much quieter focus and this matters more in video if you're using autofocus because you can hear it. But with that being said, you can take some amazing photographs with a 50 millimeter lens with a 1.8, um, aperture, uh, and, and using a Canon rebel body T3i, T5i, T6, whatever. And, um, and you're not, you're only going to be into that camera, maybe 500 bucks, um, maximum. And this is how I shot forever. My videos for the first year and a half I was on YouTube were all shot with a 50 millimeter lens. Probably why you didn't see me in many of them, because I didn't have that, uh, I didn't have that wide angle. Um, so, you know, you can do a lot with these bad boys and, and honestly, I would rather shoot prime all the time if I could. It's just a matter of, you know speed and variability you know, and, and what you you're use the flexibility the what's crazy is when i went to next up they were shooting on what's called a cineprime and these are adjustable prime lenses and they're insane i mean they're thousands tens of thousands of dollars for these lenses yeah and they're r- ridiculous but most movies and what are not are shot on what's called a cineprime lens and they have and they're just incredible um but in that I would definitely consider uh, as a starter, you're going to have that kit lens, which is great to have. It's a good um, starter lens to learn how to shoot on. I'm definitely going to want to invest into uh, a prime lens. And whether that's a wide angle, I highly recommend the 50. And we'll have links to both of these um, and actually all of mine and Brad's equipment for you guys in the show notes and in the uh, on madeforprofit.com. But I definitely highly recommend for anything that's going to be portfolio based is shooting on a prime lens because you can get a much crisper shot. Um, you're just going to be limited on how wide you can get and where you're shooting it at. Right. And the prime lens is also so just as we were talking about um, how good they can do in the exposure triangle and the aperture. Uh, so I talked about that 18 to 55. So the zoom range on that um, also affects the aperture. So the aperture on this 18 to 55 is 3.5 to 5.6. And that might not mean anything to you, but basically, um, you know, that's again, how that's as low as the camera can go. And at 18 millimeters, which is a wide shot, it can go all the way down to 3.5 on the F-stop. And, but when you're zoomed in, you can only go to 5.6. And again, what that means is that you, since that's a higher number, then that means it's letting less light on going back to the exposure triangle. So the higher the aperture, the less light it's going to be in. So it's going to be harder to shoot in low light situations with that zoom lens. On the other end, that Canon, the Nifty 50, which I, that was the first prime lens I upgraded to. So highly recommend that. And they also have similar ones in for Nikon and the other bodies that are very cheap. So 125, 150 bucks is that that same 50 millimeter lens the the one that John talked about is like the worst of them is 1.8 on the aperture. So now you're talking, you know, half, it goes down almost twice as far as that 3.5. So the amount of light that you can let in at 1.8 versus, versus 3.5 will totally change the way you shoot automatically right there. I mean, you can do a lot better things and it's that, again, depth of field. 
you're going to be able to get that bokeh that John talked about last week, uh, where you get that nice in focus point of reference of wherever you're shooting it. And then the background is just kind of creamy, blurry. You can't really, you're not getting a ton of bokeh at 3.5. You really aren't. But at 1.8, man, you're, you're doing that. And, you know, uh, big shout out to our boy Tyson, uh, because Tyson Moore has, uh, he's always on Instagram, does some amazing shots and, uh, he is like Mr. Boca. So you like zoom in on that and then you can just get really tight with that 1.8, let a ton of light in. And that way you can do a lot better shots in natural lighting too. If, uh, you know, you don't have to supplement with, with other artificial light and you can keep that good natural light that we talked about last week. Yes. And then another option that you're going to hear if we start to do research is what's called a macro lens. A macro lens is for magnification. It's not really used in what we do unless you're making really tiny stuff or small stuff. But you'll see a lot of food bloggers and a lot of individuals that do a lot of overhead shots. They use macro lenses. And basically what a macro lens is, is something that it gives you the opportunity for magnification. Um, And we'll keep it as basic as that because I know Brad and I, neither one of us own a macro lens. But just to keep that information rolling for all of you who want to start getting more educated on the lens. Um, So moving into the next thing is uh, we're going to stick with lenses here for a second because I think that the uh, the stigma between the body and the lens is something a lot of people misinterpret. Yeah. And so why, why don't you hit just before, sorry, John, but um, because I, I think the value here too, when we talk about the 50, like what, what, what's your, what was your go-to, what's your next lens go-to? So 50 is going to be tight. What's, what was your go-to for like something wide? Because that's also a lot of people struggle, especially with the crop sensor of being able to get the whole thing in frame if you're shooting a 10 foot dining table, what would that lens be for you? So I, so I literally just use the 50 forever um, until I upgraded to the 80 D when I upgraded to the 80 D I bought the kit that ugh, I had to reach over. It came with the 18 to 135 um, adjustable zoom lens. Um, and because I wanted to get wider shots. So the 18 millimeter shot is going to be very wide and then crop down. It's probably closer to like 28 or something. Who knows? Um, but I could figure that out if I wanted to. And it actually probably tells me here on the camera somewhere. So anyway, with that, I wanted to, that's what I was using for uh, probably six months, six to eight months um, for all my wide shots. And I upgraded to the ADD probably right around this time last year. And uh, I did that right after I got back from next, right before I went to next up. And then I upgraded my glass um, coming into this new year. So I've been shooting on new glass for probably... Mm, four months now. Um, so with that, the one thing you're going to want to do when you're looking to upgrade your lens, and this was a mistake that I made, is variable ISO. Um, and th- that's like, right, Brad? Variable ISO? Uh, no, uh, aperture. <laughs> yes. Ver- sorry. Variable, uh, variable f-stop. And what that is, is as you zoom in. So think about holding your camera and you're taking a photograph of something and then you want to zoom in to get a tight shot of the say a corner or a detail or something a variable uh f-stop is going to adjust itself automatically um each time you zoom and it's not going to stay there so if you have your lens set and you like your lighting and the look of the photograph and you zoom in uh, a variable f-stop is going to change and that was a huge mistake that i made in my first uh like kind of beefier zoom lens not that wasn't a, a basic kit lens um and and it's just Honestly, it's something I just don't even know why you would want it. Um, it it yeah. kind of takes some variability out of it. But what it does is it literally forces you to adjust every single shot you're taking. 
Um, and if you look at my videos, you'll see a lot of difference in the tight and wide shots. Photos, it's easy to catch because you're looking at them each time you take it. But in video, you're running and gunning it, and that makes a huge difference. And when you're doing what Brad and I do, you want to make sure that all of your gear is usable for photo and video. So in that, I went with the 18 to 135 because I wanted a wider shot. You can buy a 24 uh, millimeter pancake uh, prime lens, which is it's actually really cool looking. It's like super thin. Um, so flat. And That's get, why they call it the pancake. Yeah. <laughs> and get some awesomely wide shots. So if you're just looking to get a wider shot with a any lens on your on your camera, that would be my suggestion is the 50 millimeter prime and then the 24 millimeter prime. Um, yeah. From there, I would save up to invest in a zoom lens um, that is going to be you more of like your, I guess, <clears throat> uh, everyday kind of lens instead of like your product shots. But I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even, that wouldn't even matter to me in, unless you're doing video. If you're just looking for a straight photo, I would stick with the 24 and the 50 millimeter. Um, and you should be able to get 85 to 90% of the shots that you want to right. get with those. If you're doing like, um, if you're doing a lot of full room shots or if you're just working in a lot of tight spaces, um, I did get, and I, I don't know if you have this one or not, John, do you have the 10 to 18? No. So I've got the I've got the 10 to 18 and I've actually used this a lot. So this is a it, it's a wide angle lens. So 10 to 18 millimeters. And again, when you when you talk about lens, that's those what you'll typically hear people talk about. So the 18 to 55, the 10 to 18, the 50, they tip, they typically talk about them in focal lengths. Uh, so the 10 to 18 is is a wide angle lens at 10. But what you start getting is that fisheye look. So things start bending around the corners. Uh, and so you have to make some adjustments for that. But um, this one works really well, but it is uh, a very, it's a much higher f-stop and aperture. So, so piling on to what you were saying, John, uh, and again, I know if, if this is the first time you're hearing it, you know, you might need to listen to it a few times to make it click or go read about it. But when I was talking about the 18 to 55, that it goes, uh, it can go all the way down to 3.5 at 18 millimeters, but only 5.6 at 55 is exactly what John just hit on. So if John got all of his settings where he wanted them and he was shooting at 18 millimeters at 3.5. If he zooms into 55, the camera says I can no longer do 3.5 aperture. When you're at 55, the lowest I can go is 5.6. And so since, you know, we talked about the exposure triangle as that goes higher, it gets darker. And so that uh, also happens on this 10 to 18, but uh, on the nicer lenses, you can get a fixed aperture for a zoom lens, which is exactly what your 17 to 40 is, right, John, which is the next level. And I have one that is a, it's actually a Sigma lens, but basically you can buy lenses. They're more expensive and you'll hear them referred to as a, like mine's a 17 to 55 fixed 2.8. And that means that all along that zoom range, I can go down all the way to the F-stop of 2.8, which means no matter where I'm zoomed, it's going to allow the same amount of light in and I don't have to worry about it. I can go in, zoom, pull out, pull in, and uh, it will keep the same lighting. I don't have to mess with any settings. Yes. And I have the, what is it? Um, I have the EF 17 to 40 millimeter red band. Um, like uh, what, what else to say on here? Ultrasonic Canon um, zoom lens. And that's the, that's the fixed focal range where it doesn't, it doesn't change. If I'm zooming, it's boom, boom in and out. The lens is super crisp. And that's what I've been shooting on for a lot of my stuff. Um, and if I'm shooting tight with it, like it's, it's great. Um, I don't have, excuse me, I don't really need D 
to use the 50 as often for video. Um, I'm shooting a lot of my product shots with the 50 still just because it's much more clear. But this um, 17 to 40 is a nice, you know, uh, a nice everyday kind of lens on for what. And I'm that's a that's an expensive lens. That's a very, very nice lens. I mean, that's that is a uh, what would you call it? The um, kind of a semi pro type lens, right? That's the next level We'd, that the red ring, what John said, the red series. Is that the L series? Whatever it is like that is is, you know, the semi pro. So you go up substantially in price, I think. Retail, that one might be what eight fifty, nine fifty. Yeah, and, uh, and but you I can get them in the kits holidays. and get good deals. I mean, yeah, it was something that I bought it in a kit. I waited till the holidays, um, and I got this with the one point four uh, fifty millimeter Canon gold band, um, which is uh, that was a suggestion of of, of Annie Briggs, uh, and she shoots all of her photographs on that. Pretty much, she said, and um, and that has been a game changer because, like you said, Brad. When I can go down to that 1.4 um, aperture and get a lot of bokeh in furniture shots, it's just really a pretty pretty photo. And the further you can get, I mean, the the next lens up the Canon makes is a 1.2, and that thing is a ridiculously nice lens. But um, you can see there the difference in the 1.8 to 1.4 to 1.2 is is a, they're bit massive money jumps. But yeah, uh, once you start, so this is where I was going is the stigma between the body and the lens is. Um, I would highly suggest investing in good glass before you start investing in crazy bodies. Um, you know, uh, you could pretty much anything that's a crop sensor that's coming out as of recent is going to shoot pretty similar um, photo. There might be some image stabilization when it comes to video and a couple other features. But for photographs, you're going to be pretty common across the board. You can then start investing in glass or lenses where down the line you can then jump up to a full frame and uh, use those same lenses. And, and, and that, that's going to be my suggestion before you start investing in these crazy bodies um, because it's for what we're doing and using them for, there's not a massive necessity to be using a ridiculously expensive body. Now, if you're, if you're you know, Peter McKinnon, who's um, making all of his money <laughs> from his camera, you, you, you're shooting on the nicest cameras on the planet. Um, and, he does, and he makes you know incredible footage, and a lot of his camera gear helps him produce that. Um, but you could do some amazing stuff with you know just your entry level type DSLR, upgrading your glass, and then getting into the more expensive bodies. Like I said, Brad and I are still shooting on crop sensor, uh, mid range Canon bodies, and both of us have been investing more in the glass uh, as in the, instead of investing in the um, yeah. the bodies of the camera themselves. Because that's the beauty of it is that. Um if you make that investment and like, you know, so you just heard, like I just talked about this lens is 850, 950 bucks. Like that's more than that body, than the whole kit of that lower end. Right. So you're like, holy cow, I'm gonna have to pay more for the lens than the body. Well, yeah, but that's because you can also use that same lens on a $5,000 camera and the $5,000 camera is going to make that lens, you know, work even better. Uh, but you can upgrade the lens and keep it as long as you stay in the same line. Uh, and so, but, and they even make adapters. So you can even, you can cross, but you know, there's some issues with that, but in general, you kind of want to stay with the same body style and the same brand line. So, and most people will, they will be Canon people or Nikon people or Sony people or whatever. Um, and when you're looking at that, uh, just, just think about that, that investment is not, you know, it's not a, uh, it's not stuck to the body. So as things upgrade and then, you know, as we're all shooting, 8k and and you want a new camera you're like oh well 
I don't want to invest all this money in the lens if I'm going to have to upgrade later. Don't worry about that. You can upgrade the body later. Uh, you can actually, you know, like you can shoot these lenses on film cameras. Like it just, the body is completely separate than the lens. Um, and that's the beauty of the DSLR system is that it's interchangeable and, um, you know, you can do so many different things with it. So I, I think that's a, a good coverage of it. I mean, we'll, again, we'll have those links down there, but uh, we've really enjoyed being able to have all the different camera and lens combinations. And what you'll find is that you'll, you'll hone in to a specific, you know, that 50 millimeter, you'll be like, oh man, I love this. And you'll just shoot like everything with it, right? You'll mm-hmm. find that one lens that you like John said, you're, you're kind of everyday lens. And then you'll have other lenses for specialty. So this 10 to 18 that I was talking about, the wide angle, that's my specialty. I don't pull out very often, but but when I do, boy, does it help me out. If I'm shooting in a closet, which I, which I had been, if I'm shooting in my laundry room, like that's, that's where it is. But, you know, find those one or two lenses that you really are going to use all the time. And then don't worry about the rest uh, until you need them. Yes, and it's nice to make small additions to your photography, um, you know, gear bag uh, over time compared to dumping all the money into it at once. And that's why I think the bundles are great options online. Um, And then you can start to piecemeal in the types of things you want to upgrade. And there, I mean, we could talk for another hour probably just getting into lighting upgrades, getting into, um, you know, uh, I guess additions to what you can use for better photography pre and post. So, but I think we'll kind of stick it right here with like your main gear, like the main camera body, why you want to be doing it, what you want to be looking at if you're going to get upgrading. Um, And this is just for photography specifically. All of these things do apply to videography, but there is a little bit more that goes into it. And I believe, you know, that's what we're going to talk about in next week's episode because we've been, we've been getting so many requests for this stuff that we think there's so much information to provide. Um, That is pretty specific to woodworking and making like we don't need like uh, I hope that a lot of you out there that have been looking to upgrade weren't looking at full frame camera bodies um, just because you thought you needed it because when you look at a photography forum they're like if you're shooting crop sensor you're a rookie like because it's not the case for us like we you can make you can get by with a lot more affordable camera gear and do some really great work um, and you're and you're not into like the whole bias world of photographers um, preferences because a lot of those guys have been shooting on the same platform for years. Their eyes train differently. It's like asking us the difference between tool brands. You know, all of us have an opinion. Well, there's the same thing in the photography space. So don't get intimidated right. by it. It's much more easily consumable. We do have links to all of the gear we've talked about in today's episode on madeforprofit.com. Um, if you guys have any questions, hit us up. Uh, we kind of, we, Brad and I are gearheads to a degree. We do like talking about this kind of stuff. I remember buying my last lens was a lot of phone calls like dude what do you think about this but oh have you heard about this lens coming out or like oh i'm holding out till this one and blah 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 so um yeah let us know we would love to answer your questions too yeah and also one thing i will recommend is um going on youtube there are a lot of really great review videos and they will tell you like you can go and search any lens anybody and just see a full you know unboxing review what people like what people don't like so uh almost to a fault like i mean you can really go down the rabbit hole and i've been there many many times of just like you get overwhelmed. Uh, you can get overwhelmed extremely easily. Uh, so, you know, try to hone in and, uh, you know, get some opinions from other f- folks. But the most important thing is what fits your budget, what fits your style and, you know, what you like and, you know, allows you to do what you can do. So uh, and like I said, like John said, that camera that John mentioned at the very beginning, you know, even an entry level camera with the kit lens is going to be a huge upgrade 
to a cell phone. So that's kind of what we'll end with. Uh, and yeah, we'll get into the videography aspect of it next week. And we'll kind of add in some more of the, uh, the lighting and the editing software as well, which we kind of went long on talking about gear and, and uh, wanted to talk about that today, but we're not going to go into it. So uh, that being said, we're going to jump over to our patron after show and answer some questions for those folks over there. So we will catch you guys on the next episode. Let's go hit the after show, John. Let's do it. So thank you guys for checking out the show. If you'd like any more information, you can head over to madeforprofit.com. We'll have our show notes as well as our email list subscription you can sign up for. There you'll receive tips of the week as well as all of our other actionable content. If you're digging the show, we'd love to get a five-star review over on iTunes, and we would greatly appreciate that. If you have any other questions or suggestions, you can email us at madeforprofitpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love any of your input as well as any of your future show topic suggestions. You can hit us up on Instagram at madeforprofit, where we will be answering your questions and giving out tips to help you grow on your own social networks. So once again, we really want to thank you guys for tuning in, and we will catch you on the next episode.